You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today my guest is Amber Boardman, an artist from Bushwick South, a studio space in Sydney's northern beaches. In this episode, Amber and I speak about her creative obsessions, art-making practices, and some recent exhibitions, including the Art Gallery of New South Wales' Archibald Prize. In her art-making, Amber invents alter-ego characters, explores the ideology of the American dream, and the endless desire to transform and improve the body as promoted by internet and social media culture. Due to the visual nature of Amber's artworks, you might like to check out some images while listening to this episode. Amber's website is amberboardman.com, where you can find images of many of the paintings that are discussed, as well as a link to her Instagram account. Here's my conversation with Amber Boardman. So here we are in your studio, and you've just come back from overseas, a little bit jet-lagged, you told me. Um, what goes on here? Like, do you, is it a space that you have by yourself, or do you share it with other people? Are, the, are, you, are they all visual artists? Are they all painters, for example? So this is a shared space. Uh, there are nine of us here, and there are three makers and six artists. Um, the makers make clothing and make patterns, um, and the painters um, all have very different practices. Uh, but part of the idea is that it's not just a workspace, it's a bit of a community. So we try to get together maybe once a quarter to all have dinner together. We just have like a potluck dinner and everyone brings their partners and their kids and we all just have a brief moment where we go around the room and give updates about what's happening because everyone has different schedules. But my favorite part about this place is I feel like I have a lot to give in terms of helping people with writing artist statements or maybe applying for grants or um, just kind of general artist pep talk kind of advice, which happens a lot around the, the tea station, the, the, water, the water cooler kind of idea. Just kind of like informal checking in with each other about what we're doing in our practices. Um, so none of us quite feel like we're just working alone in isolation we have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of. So I'll often get people to come in and see what I'm working on in my studio or I'll see what they're working on. But then we also have our dedicated spaces to do our own thing. So I should mention that we are on the main road. Is that something that is, um, you know, you, you clearly you, you work with it, okay. But is it something that um, everyone puts up with or, you know, is it a, is it a bother? I'm pretty used to it coming from New York, so it's actually really quiet by comparison, but it, you know, I'm sure you can hear some trucks and buses going by in the yeah. background. So um, this kind of idea of a, uh, would you call it an artist collective? It's not a collective because we don't exactly work on projects together. Yeah, separate. Uh, it's called of. a shared studio space. Yep. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, like one that you are familiar with or you've you participated in? in um, New York? Mm -hmm. So I modeled this studio off of a studio that I founded with, an, with I think it was eight other artists in New York. Um, when we finished our master's program, we were sort of shocked by how, you know, you have this really great environment when you're, when you're studying. And then when you graduate, it's just over and there's nothing. And, you know, you kind of need other people around to talk through ideas. So we all got a studio together. Um, in a neighborhood called Bushwick, which is 
sort of one of the main artist areas in Brooklyn. And so this studio is called Bushwick South, which is my sort of joke being the Southern Hemisphere version of, of Bushwick, which of course it's very different, but it comes with the same kind of, I don't know, the same kind of vibe and energy that I had in Bushwick, which is let's help each other out with our practices and let's, let's make our own thing. Let's make own, our own opportunities for ourselves. Yep. Uh, Tell us about the, um, the master's program. So you did formal study. I went to School of Visual Arts in New York City. And master's programs in the US are, I think, quite different than in Australia. Um, the thesis component isn't really, at least at that school, wasn't really anything. The, the main thing is really the work. And there's a huge emphasis on the work you're making. And it's pretty rigorous. and. It's sort of intense. There's like celebrity artists and critics coming into your studio because it's right in the middle of everything in in Chelsea, the neighborhood where a lot of the galleries are. So, yeah, it's two years of just making tons of work and trying to navigate what it's like being an artist in New York City. And so what, what sort of art were you making? So in, in those days, I was making mainly animations and installation pieces. So electronic art or? Sort of, so everything had a painting basis. So I initially started out as a painter um, in my undergrad program. And then I became an animator sort of at the end of college or we we call it college, I guess you guys call it university. University college. Yeah. And then um, for like maybe about 10 years, I was combining painting and animation. So what happened? How does that work? So I was painting on paper and then scanning everything in and sequencing things and moving things around in After Effects. After it's dry, of course. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I would paint right on the scanner bed. I mean, was, <laughs> right. There are lots That's of great. different, lots of processes involved. Very but they had a, ba- a basis in painting. Um, and then I was working with composers and musicians and making animated pieces. Also oh, collaborations. Or, or were you directing their con- contributions? Basically, I would take a piece that had already been written and I would make an animated piece that would play alongside um, musicians performing it live. Oh, so yeah. not exactly collaborating because the music was done. Sure. And then so, so I did that a few times with living composers and then I've also done it with, you know, Wagner and dead composers as well where I made my own kind of animated piece out of part of Wagner's ring cycle, for example. And what, what sort of themes are, are kind of are they recurring themes back back then? I mean, in in the, some of the creative work, probably nature, nature <laughs> people, <laughs> abstract. I, you know, I feel like a lot of artists only have a couple of obsessions, and one of mine that I was working through then was sort of a uh, a feeling of um, how do I put it like. Uh, a fear of domestication or something. Wow, <laughs> being, how being, horrifying. Being drowned by domestic life. <laughs> drowned by domestic that's, life. That's a reasonably, uh, you know, succinct perspective. Yeah, it was intense. I don't feel that way anymore, but that's how I felt at the time. And so um, did you, like, were, were these sort of artistic practices, it's almost like we're going backwards in time. Were you doing this sort of thing in high school, for example? Yeah, actually, wow, it's interesting to think about. Okay, so you you raise an interesting question. So the moment that I decided to become an artist with certainty was when I was sixteen in high school, and I had made a sculpture based on 
the experiences of watching my sister uh my sister was pregnant she was she was a teenage mom and i was 15 and she was 17 and we were sort of navigating this idea of her having a baby um as kids basically and it was a sculpture about that and um I, this piece won an award. I think I read about this piece in this book that yep, I'm holding. Exactly. Which is about Jade. Jade. Mm-hmm. But, um, sorry, go on. So this piece won an award. Uh, I won $300 in this high school competition. And it, just, it was like this moment that hit me that was like, you can make money at this? People could actually want to purchase something you could make or... Like I had no model for what an artist could be or Mm. what it meant to be an artist. So I just sort of decided then, like, this is it. This is for me. I'm an artist. This is a career path for me. Wow. Yeah. And then I guess you you sought out, um, you know, where to study or a course that would be suitable. And then that led to something else. And then extension of that study, um, artistic practice in this studio, Bushwick studio. Yeah. Exactly. So were you doing... It all sounds so simple in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a lot of exhibitions as part of, like when you were in the in Bushwick and part of that kind of era, like the, going to college? Yeah, of course. So part of Bushwick, sorry, part of the, the studio we had in Bushwick, New York, was it was a shared studio space, but also an exhibition space. So we would hold exhibitions there, but I was also having exhibitions in New York and Atlanta, where I did my undergraduate degree and various places. Um, and then in 2012, um, I moved to Australia. Um, I met this Australian guy in New York and we fell in love and never thought I would leave New York, but decided it was the thing for me. So here I am. So mainly I was making animations, public art installations for about 10 years. Also working commercially in the background. Oh yeah, you did some stuff I remember reading in uh, like the Cartoon Network or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked for uh, on some Adult Swim shows, Comedy Central, and for Google doing commercial animation to sort of pay the bills in the background so I could do my art, which didn't doesn't pay nearly as well. Um, and then when I moved to Sydney here, and up, I was I had a studio in DY on the Northern Beaches. It was tiny. There was no one around. There was Jeez. no that, that north, way north from here, mm-hmm. yep. not far. And there were no sort of New York ambition, art pressures around. I didn't know anybody. And I secretly had this guilty feeling like, I think I just want to paint again after doing mainly animation. So I oh, so started painting full time. Like the lack of that pressure or the lack of the different, different energy or dynamic allowed you to then go explore other areas. Totally. And it went back to sort of... I mean, I started as a painter and then I went to animation and then back to painting once I got to Australia. And so what was the, I guess, whether you call it the cultural transition to, from what, how would you compare your uh, experience in New York and the US with living in Sydney, Australia, northern beaches <laughs> of Sydney? Very, very different. Um, I personally found it really difficult in New York to turn off the pressures of New York as a place, New York as, you know, the center of the art world. Pressures in what regard? What, what sort of pressures? Are the pressure talking? to make it, the pressure to try to have a sustainable art career. Do, but do people pursue that and achieve that? Or is it 
<laughs> they're really all these rare. people striving for it. I mean, that's what New York's about. It's about striving. I mean, anyone you speak to is they have any any waiter in a cafe. You know, they're all actors or artists or composer. Oh, yeah. Everyone's doing trying to make it in some way. Um, and so. So it sounded as though you you almost like breathed it. A sigh of relief in a way that that was not you weren't surrounded by that you were in a different context different country yeah I had to get away from it um I had I don't know I guess being away from it allowed me to kind of just yeah have some quiet and some space enough to be able to really ask what do I really want to be doing what I really what do I really want to be saying that's a good question yeah what's the answer to that question <laughs> It's not a simple answer. No. Um, I guess we could look around and we could see some of those answers before us. Yeah. But. Um, and, it, and it's an answer that has, yeah, it's, it's evolving all the time. And it, I guess the answer to that question comes out of each exhibition I'm doing. I moved in with a half Israeli, half Mexican family when I was in high school, living in Atlanta. Um, we won't go on to why. But no. <laughs> but um, it'll be in the biopic. Yeah, <laughs> if there ever is one. But living with them was really incredible because the father was a symphony conductor, and there were three sons, and, and the oldest son was a composer, and um, you know the mother interesting spoke. Interesting family. It was an incredibly interesting family. The mother spoke five languages. They traveled all the time. I mean, everyone was just really pursuing their craft at a very high level. Well, that's the, that's the context in which you were kind of living. Well, it gave me a model for what it means to work really hard at your craft. And, and that's like, that's normal and that's oh, yeah. fine. No, that's, I like and that's, that, that, that kind of notion that you're surrounded by something that's functional and working. Yeah. And then you just kind of almost like continue on with the slipstream of that. Yeah, and it's almost like, if, I mean, if you grow up and, there, and there's no model for having an artistic life, I mean, it is a really th weird thing to be a contemporary artist. I mean, for like, you know, 99% of the world, pe people are like, what is that? You know? For that 1%, they just, I guess they just do what they do. Yeah, it just felt really normal. And I felt like, okay, these are my people. Like, I can just paint all day. And like, that's not weird. <laughs> like, so even though even they encouraged. were working in other mediums um, or other media, they, there was a resonance of the value of artistic of a, expression. Yeah, and and a work ethic toward an unconventional kind wow. of craft. That's a kind of um, nice combo because I guess typically when the person in the street hears about an artist, they they that kind of work ethic is not always part of that conversation. It's sort of like they've got a notion of someone that's you know maybe not well organized or not you know driven on a practical level oh definitely i mean the work ethic thing is so interesting like you know you said i just you mentioned i had just gotten back from traveling overseas i had, had an exhibition in rome if if you talk to me now about what i'm doing it sounds glamorous in a way like at this moment we it's, do not, get, it's not always we this do way. want to explore those glamorous aspects very soon but i guess Sorry. i guess what i want to say is that it can sound glamorous if you ask an artist at the right time what they're doing but really what I in my experience what being an artist is is really actually not glamorous and kind of boring like I wake up and I make my salad and I come to the studio and I work really hard and it's not 
pretty and it's not necessarily fun, but there's like a work ethic and like I work a lot. And that's where, that's the basis of everything that I think people don't really think about when they think about artists. You know, mm. they think about the smoking cigarettes and staying up late. And yeah, like a I don't kind know. of mythological almost. I just don't, I personally can't get work done that way. I need like a really boring life. So you've I got everything a schedule, up. you've got time I've got frames, a schedule, I've got, a, you know, the more stability and like boring and calm I have in my life, the more work I get done and the better work I do. Personally, to me, like if I have, if my life's all in upheaval, I don't get an, I can't get anything done. Mm. Do you think, I mean, can you speak for all artists? Do you think all artists would sort of function better in that, given those, I that think situation? I'm not going to say all artists, but the more successful artists I know, they're not like hanging out in cafes and getting drunk all the time. They're working really, really hard. So as part of your um, PhD process, you organized a few, um, I guess, what would you call them, workshops that were designed to support other artists or practitioners. Can you tell us more about um, the reasons why you, you pursued that that approach and, and then how it, what, what that meant on a practical level so it didn't really have anything to do with a PhD it's, it's something I started in America um, a year ago um, I had an exhibition in Atlanta and just something about the idea of like flying in having a show and leaving it just seemed empty and it felt like I want to do more I want to like actually really connect with a community and it also feels really one-sided just to like fly in, be like, hey guys, look at me, look at my work on the wall, and then leave. So I like the idea of it being more like, here's what I'm doing, what are you doing? And that more of a conversation and like rethinking what it means to have an exhibition a little bit. So um, I just developed this format, I'm calling, I just called it artist to artist workshops. And I just made free tickets on Eventbrite and I just said, you know, Anyone who wants to just sign up for a time and come and let's talk about your work and we can talk about just informal things about what it means to be an artist. We, I could help you however I can with your artist statement or grants or whatever, kind of like the things I've been doing with my studio mates. Um, or you could just show me something you're working on that you're having trouble with and we could just talk through it. And so the response to that was just really great. and I in America and then I repeated it here in Sydney as well and I'm going to be doing it um, on Saturday in Brisbane as part of the the Beyond Reason exhibition at QUT Art Museum. Um, it's something I want to try to do you know a few times a year um, anytime I have an exhibition have these workshops so it's not just here's the work on the wall it's here's the work on the wall and here let's have a conversation about the work and your work for people who want to. So for the, the workshops that you held recently, how were they received by, the, by some of the participants? The people who, um, often the, the people who come, they really get a lot, we both really get a lot out of it. Um, I think people are kind of hungry for maybe a deeper dialogue about what they're doing. But it's also interesting because some people, because it's free, they're just like, oh, I was hungover, sorry, I, I wasn't able to show up. <laughs> so that takes away from someone else who, who really wanted a ticket because they always sell out right away and um, you know if someone doesn't show up then they're they're taking that opportunity from someone else so it's interesting how I want to keep it free because I feel like it's not about money but then again if it's free people don't always value it so but for the most part the people who have come have like really gotten so much out of it 
and so have I. And we've and we've maintained relationships, some of us, like um, through Instagram, through email. Some of the you know some of the artists, we're still in touch. So. And and what's what's the general setup like? You kind of you have a timetable, and they've got a, a, a you know schedule time to turn up. And then you sit down with them or? Yeah, I generally do either between 30 or 45 minutes. I just have my computer. So if someone wants to bring like a USB stick with work on it, I just look at their work. But basically it's just two chairs, a table, and we just talk for 30 to 45 minutes. And about like everything from the art practice to uh, career goals? Yep. Um, practical application of organizing an exhibition yep so yeah and it's anyone from emerging artists have come stu- people who are still students and people who are really quite established have come as well so it's a huge range which has been really fun for me the most fun is when people actually want to talk about their work um the least fun for me is when people want to talk about how do i get a gallery and career kind of stuff which is i get it it's I, it's strategizing for that is like totally valid it's but it's just not as interesting to me as like talking about the ideas behind someone's work, personally. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Tell us, tell us about your this exhibition you've just come back from. So I just came back from Rome. Uh, I had an exhibition with a gallery called Postmasters, which is a New York-based gallery. They've been around for about 30 years, and they've just started with a Rome branch of the gallery. This is the second exhibition they've had. Actually, the first exhibition they had was with Sally Smart, who's an Australian artist. This one was with me, uh, Amber Boardman, and two two New York-based artists, Jenny Morgan and Monica Cook. So Jenny and I both showed paintings, uh, figurative paintings, and Monica had an animation and some glass sculptures. So this work in in the show in Rome was actually really fun because I just finished a PhD, which I can talk about in a moment, but um, in doing that, it was a three-year project that had one very clear narrative between all the paintings. Um, and I was so invested in writing the dissertation and finishing all the, the works for that, for the PhD exhibition that I kind of needed like a breath of fresh air, um, sort of in between. So I was kind of like, cle- you know, wanting to just kind of clear out the studio and I was looking back through my painting racks and I found some works that I wasn't totally happy with. So I kind of like mushed a few of them together and made these almost like Frankenstein monster kind of paintings where, um, Parts of them were pieces of other of older paintings that I kind of recycled into into new characters. So some of them would be like three weird, uh, unmatched canvases smushed together. So they're they're not square. They would be all strange. They almost look like, look like little puzzle pieces. Um, and then two of the works were these paintings I called end of day paintings, which is I have this fear of wasting paint. So at the end of end of the day if I have anything left over I keep adding and adding and adding to these end of day paintings so they get built up really really thickly and um very efficient use of um paint (laughs) I like this little crinkle um crinkle I have a tube ringer to get every last little bit 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting you say, that you say it's an efficient use of pain. I just think of it as like using my own fears to my advantage because I'm afraid of wasting pain because it's so expensive, especially oh, yeah. so in Australia. So you tapped into that and you're riding in on it. Totally. So like, I mean, you can see them around the studio. Like I'll, I, ha- I make a lot of abstractions that are just extra pain at the end of the day. And then I turn them into, they, they sort of become backgrounds of newer paintings. So it's almost like the paint from an old painting becomes the beginning of the next painting and it's like one continuous stream. Expression. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One line. Do you think, is that something that, that, that all creative practitioners do? Tap into their anxieties or their fears or? Maybe not their anxieties. Possibly, I think when people sort of tap into something that works for them, often it's, it comes from a, a sense of knowing I guess, yeah, what their limits are or what their tendencies are and sort of exploiting what they do naturally rather than trying to fight upstream all the time. Yeah, I guess it's that unique unique nature of uh, an individual artist and I guess how they're working creatively to produce unique work that is reflective of what they're about. Right. For me, the main thing I'm trying to do is, I guess, take as many risks as I can with my work and I have to do it really consciously. So I'm always telling myself in the studio, like, jump off the cliff, don't be scared, jump off the cliff. So what does that look like in, um, in the world, this sort of Amber Baldwin taking risks? What's, what's, a, what's something, what's a high watermark? Well, of- the paintings are really weird. You'd have to see, <laughs> you'd have to see them. <laughs> I'm not censoring myself. I really try to go for it um, in, in subject matter and in the visuals, in, in every way that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at one of your pieces on Instagram called Glamour Machine. Mm-hmm. Would this be that one? Is this typical of your that you know? Glamour Machine. That painting I had probably worked on for maybe two years. That one's unusual because um, I kept working on it and working. I just couldn't get it quite right. It's um, it's it's maybe like five feet wide. Oh yeah. I don't know what that is in metric five foot <laughs> like a short person maybe it's like tall as a short three, person. two meters or something yeah. like that um oh, and no, probably my, a, a meter and a half or i don't know something like five that five feet six I'm feet six feet would be two meters but yeah so, almost two meters okay whatever so it's a pretty large painting it's a lot it's a large largish painting large-ish. but um this the secret subtext title to that which no one knows is I would call it Fisher Price, my first painting, or Play School, my first painting. Like, what's that per, about? Per, do you know Fisher Price or Play School? They're like toy makers. It was, it was just my way of like trying to not be afraid of being like, I'm just playing. I'm just making my. This is my first painting I've ever done, and so I like, I, there was like, no way to make a mistake. It's like like a child mind kind of approach. Yeah. Um. So that one I worked on for years and it's changed so many times. I actually should make an animation based, like that would just show all the, there's so many layers in that painting. So basically what it looks like is there's a central figure who has weird, crazy, fake looking blonde hair spraying in all different directions. She's holding up her hand and touching this big red button. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. And, Clearly. and then the red, and then the, the button uh, turns on a machine, which is all behind her that sort of spits out hair, nails, makeup. It's Is like, it for her? She's creating her own... She's creating doom. her own glamour, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's a mach- it's a glamour machine. It's, you know, <laughs> it's hair, nails, and makeup, it's and what you would expect classic surgery, and it's yes. everything. 
It's like why 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 is she doing that? Um, she comes from this line of paintings I've been making for the last couple of years, based basically based on um, beauty and and women's ideas of beauty. I mean, it's not excluding men, but I, I see it. It's more obvious in women, and it comes from. I guess this kind of fascin almost like a sociological fasci fascination in whatever people have, they seem to want it be to be different. And I remember when I was a kid, when I learned that women would dye their hair, like if they, you know, if they had blonde hair, they might dye it darker. If they had dark hair, they might buy it, dye it blonde, you know, whatever. So I thought, okay, maybe there's like one hair that's the perfect hair, that if you had that, you wouldn't have to change it. I like that as a, as a very grounded, um, rational, thought however it's quite incongruous to the uh the entire spirit of the fashion industry and oh completely <laughs> and i think when i realized i think i realized this really late in life i'm not even sure i don't even want to say how old i was that what people are actually going for sometimes is the dyed look it's like that's actually like preferable to have even if you mm. had the, the color you want it, it looks what, what's underlying that for say this woman in the painting and people that, that pursue that what what's underlying that I think what's need? underlying it is um I don't know what it is for each individual but it for me the fascination is isn't it interesting that whatever we have isn't enough and we have to we have to transform our bodies with makeup spray tan hair dye plastic surgery um all of that I just find it really fascinating and I think of women especially use just so normal and everyday to use makeup but that's all a kind of paint so i'm thinking about women's being just like everyday painters like making a painting on their face or every, like, every day like jade in your uh recent right um, so exhibition jade is the name of a character in my last show where the show had 32 paintings um that all continued in one continuous line um and Jade is sort of like an alter ego of mine. Like we're very different, but I sort of, I mean, her name is the name my mother wanted to call me originally when I was a kid. So somehow <laughs> we're related. And maybe she's Both just like- jewels. Yeah, Amber and Jade, yeah. Um, she's the blonde it's fashion like, conscious version of me, I guess. I guess it's kind of the colors of the two um, precious stones come to mind with the one being orange and golden and one almost like a opposite in the color yeah that's spectrum. true that's i never thought about that yeah jade and i are opposites but she um she's always looking at instagram yeah. and social media for what for basically for what she feels like she should be so she's always seeing like beauty trends and fads and you know women doing duck face poses and, and all these kinds of things and she's constantly trying to kind of transform her body based on her ideas of beauty um in, in really extreme ways. So she's always trying to look better, but she always ends up looking worse and kind of more grotesque. And she's sort of failing, failing beautifully. <laughs> looking at some of Jade's um, attempts. And I'm not making fun of her. Like, I really yeah, love what's her. what's that about? Are you, yeah, some people might um, say, well, the, the, clearly this artist is making fun of uh, Jade and her cohorts, but um, there seems like there's something else going on. Could you explain, you know, how, how do you... Um, 
how would you help people understand where you're coming from? I, it's interesting you said people might think I'm making fun of them, but I actually haven't heard anyone say that they thought that. Oh, yeah, like bring that. those people to me? Yeah, maybe they're, that... just, they're not saying it. But I think, I, th- I think somehow people can feel that it's not done in that spirit. It's done in like a solidarity of like, look at what we're all thinking about. You know, we're all we're all sort of feeling a pressure to 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 be more, to to be different, to be you know skinnier, taller, whatever, blonder, yeah, it is whatever a shared, it is. A shared sort of um, perspective, mm-hmm. I suppose, or a shared maybe inclination. Yeah, and it's also it's current in a way because it's the trends can travel more quickly through Instagram. But it's also kind of ancient. I mean, there are beauty practices that go back to, you know, ancient times and Chinese foot binding. And, you know, there's a million ways that beauty has been a pursuit for as long as we have recorded history. But the ways that it's being done now are just in some ways more extreme because we have better technology to do really extreme plastic surgeries and things. So Jade, um, in this this sort of (laughs) technology of plastic surgery, at the end of the day, she's really just a character made of paint. And so I like to highlight that. So oh, yeah, in, yeah. in one moment, uh, the one that's some, called something like before and after open bar, it's a it's a diptych of oh, two paintings yes. where yes. she gets drunk on some turpentine cocktails with some friends and disintegrates because turpentine dissolves oil paint. <gasps> She and didn't so, realize. She didn't have a knowledge of self. Well, she be, she gains a knowledge of self because she through disintegrating she realizes that she's made of paint and then she uses that knowledge to then say oh if i'm made of paint i can just become my own plastic surgeon and then i can transform myself however i like she uses that knowledge to then um, enter the 45 and over awards because she's a middle-aged uh, see, lady see it's quite clear i have not been keeping up with the jade narrative it's it's very linear actually i've been um <laughs> seduced by the more superficial elements it's great because there's lots of levels that you could read it on the surface or you could sort of dive into the narrative of it so then she um once she enters the 45 and over awards you know of course she wins the pageant because she's made herself into this sort of ideal of beauty she she also um uses this knowledge that she's made of paint to create her own instagram character because she realizes that people are all kind of making characters out of themselves on Instagram. So she creates Blob, who is a blob of paint. Oh, I do remember Blob. Yeah. Yes. So then she shows his whole life from birth till death um, and posted all, basically all the paintings are her Instagram posts. So the, the exhibition exists as an exhibition of paintings in the gallery, but it also exists on Instagram. And most of the paintings are animated on Instagram as well. So there's a whole other sort of like two components to the show. Um, so then she pa- posts Blob's whole life from birth till death, buries him in a landfill in, a, in, a, in an abstract painting called Paint Rags in a Landfill. And then she kind of uses Blob's whole story to become an Instagram influencer in order to sell products, which a lot of people are doing on Instagram. So she makes these um, hand-painted sweaters, which are really just abstract paintings that have a little collar at the top. And they all have... Um, are, they in, are they in the catalog? Those are the sweaters right there. Oh, these? Yeah. yeah the, so oh, right. just like the sleigh the sweater, the singularity sweater. sweater, you know, they're all just um, abstractions that are also sweaters. I mean, they look like sweaters. Oh, I see. Because the they have a collar line at the, at the top. top. Exactly. 
And it all ends in the singularity because, well, the, te the technological singularity is this moment where artificial intelligence becomes self-aware. Yeah, and in some I can see that it's definitely along those lines. Yeah, and so because Jade is an Instagram character, in some way she's this artificial intelligence that becomes self-aware. And you know, at that moment, it's also called the intelligence explosion where the future of humanity is completely unpredictable. But it's also kind of a joke because it's just, a, it's just oil on canvas. It's like the mo it's such a basic form of, of art. It's not technologically advanced at all. So I'm like talking about the singularity with an ancient art form. <laughs> well, it's a very established technology, yes. Yeah, which, yeah, it's not exactly ancient, but it's quite old. So a lot of these have multiple levels of, levels of humor, of narrative, of, you know, dealing with social media. You, you could read a lot into them if you, if you spend the time with it, but you could also just potentially just enjoy the paintings even if you don't know any of this backstory. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Was it a happy accident that Jade um, and her turpentine experience, which she was downing all these drinks and she got into, you know, complete carnage last night at the bar? Uh huh. And she realised, I mean, was that for Jade, was that a happy accident or was that, what was the kind of moment where she, what slipped her over into that self awareness? Or? Are you still recording? Yeah. Okay, good. I may use the. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's good. Um, I think one of the one of the kind of obsessions or, or themes in my work has to do with control. So she's constantly trying to control her sort of misbehaving body, and as clear, yeah, we've got evidence of that up until this point. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of my <laughs> there's sort of two main characters in this body of work: uh, Blob, who's a blob of paint, and Jade. And they both, you know, sort of maybe have alcohol problems, which is which is another way of you know, control and lack of control. I just find mm -hmm. it interesting where people can sort of get all sloppy. And, and, my, and I guess my painting is like a visual representation of people's, you know, lo sort of losing control of themselves. Well, yeah, we can see that before and after shots of uh, <laughs> Jade at the bar, the yeah, open bar, exactly. clearly with, well, I can, uh, I think a lot of people would be able to relate to, to the, relate. Uh, I have that heard situation. that a lot of times. That a lot of people can relate to these paintings, which is which is really nice to hear. Yeah, it's quite visceral as well. It, literally, the paint kind of uh, oh, well, it's sort of exploding, exploding or sloshing around maybe yeah. uh, around the canvas. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, that as a even the the play on words of that get sloshed type thing, or exactly the sort of get messy or you know. Yeah, they're like it's like a visual pun in a way. Yeah, and so what were you what saying about that? What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was interested in the, as you as you told us earlier about the uh, turpentine. Mm -hmm. She kind of overdid it on the terps, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, it's hard to show that restraint at an open bar. But was there a moment for Jay to kind of when? How did she realise, or when did she realise that, that that kind of who she was, or had that self-awareness because I mean it's clear that she hit the ground running in that slightly different direction I mean I guess you know obviously the awareness was, was, was with me more than her of course but the the whole narrative of this story and by the way it's 
it's not normal to have one exhibition be one narrative. That's something that I personally just really wanted to explore. Like, how can I have one really cohesive show, one really cohesive body of work where it all connects and there's a through line through all of it. But it came out of my sort of natural tendencies where for years I just kept painting this blonde lady who's just like dissatisfied and wanting to be more, wanting to be different, not feeling like she was enough. So there's like this blonde lady in the background. And then I kept painting this sort of, you know, bumbling blob of paint character. Um, and I had a lot of paintings of these two characters. And I, so then I sort of thought, okay, how can I, how can I sort of weave these into a narrative? Oh, right. That's, that's really interesting that the yeah. characters were there. Characters were there. Sort of like pleading for a story. Exactly. Yeah. So filmmakers, I feel like I really understand that when I go, when I go over this with filmmakers. Um, I like that. Can you explain, like, in terms, is, is Blob an emerging something? Like, is he less self-aware than Jade? Or she, he's her creation. Right. I mean, you know, how does he... He has no self-awareness. He just sort of bumbles through life. Um, uh, you know, he just sort of lives this kind of working-class life. and. Oh, well, this and taps into what you were saying earlier then about the... Uh, I don't think you used the word mundane, but it was like a suburban or something, something along those lines. Uh, kind of like a dull life. Oh, as the dull life of an artist, just working every day, or I'm no? Sure. It was something that we, you were kind of like wanting to get away from. Oh, the do- the domestic life. Yeah. No, he doesn't really have a domestic life. He doesn't really have children, or it's a little bit different to that. But yet he's still kind of trapped or. Yeah, maybe there's a trap thing I'm trying to get away from. That's true. <laughs> he's sort of trapped by his socioeconomic class. Um, but he's not really aware of it so much. No, he's not really aware of it. He just is he happy or is he indifferent? Or? He, he has, you know, he's sort of, it's maybe just like a typical, I feel like I'm getting into dangerous territory saying that kind of thing, but not self-aware, drinks a lot, gets, goes on these benders. Right. But Ends like, up in a know, nursing home and dies. I mean, it's sort of a sad, unexamined life. Kind we of all, um, we all, I guess it's a recognisable um, element of contemporary existence, mm-hmm. you know. In, on a, to a certain degree, it affects everyone, yeah. you know. And I guess some people are indifferent about that or they don't see it as being particularly troublesome or, you know, not anything that's particularly bad or, you know, they just get on with it and yeah. you kind of might be accused of... Uh, being unreasonable if you're critical of that well you know what what else is on offer you know yeah and so what does all that mean for um i guess what are you hoping that people get out of these sort of exhibitions or your artwork i think it can be tricky to sort of almost like I don't want it to seem like I'm like proselytizing or no. with my work. But I mean, these are the complexities of what is art and what, you know, people, it's there for a viewer to res- look at whether they respond or not. Um, there's different forms of art, uh, commercial art, uh, public art, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So I guess it's kind of, if, if they're kind of um, getting that message out is not a big driver, then... I guess is the driver for you more of a um, self-reflection or you want to explore who is this blonde woman that I've been obsessing about for all these years? I guess, okay, I guess the message, the message that I'm trying to get out is one that comes out of the paintings. I know that sounds like elusive, but the people that sort of see them and get it, that's what I want. That's, 
that's the number one uh, goal. They don't, a lot of people don't have the benefit of me explaining the work the way I'm doing now to you. But I, I guess if, if I could have what I wanted, it would be some kind of recognition of, isn't it interesting that we all feel like we have to change ourselves and become more or different than what we are? Um, and, and just maybe a reflection on that and some kind of reflection on um, maybe just questioning it a little bit or, or, or thinking maybe I'm enough without having to transform my body into something else. But at the same time, I'm not trying to, t I'm not anti-makeup, spray tan, plastic. I mean, if people wanted, to, if, if that stuff makes people feel better, no problem. Like, that's great. I'm not trying to tell anyone not to do those things. Yeah, because I mean, we all, well, I think most people would have a drive to look the best they can look or, yeah. you know, present themselves in a certain way, um, you know, in their life. Yeah, but then I guess there's extremes from there's extremes people that let themselves go. Which I, I love the extremes. It's fascinating these extremes. But I guess okay. So I had a piece in the Archibald Prize exhibition this year. It was a painting called Self Care Exhaustion. Yes, and the woman in the bathtub with yeah. a bit of um, pampering herself with some bit of me time. She's pampering herself and <laughs> she's gone to the extreme. So she's got cucumbers on, oh, on her eyes, is. a facial mask. Yes. There's yoga mats everywhere. There's yoga mats, there's candles, there's self-help books. She has a painting hobby. She's a, she's an artist as well. I can see her. She's trying to be an artist, yeah. <gasps> she's in, in the bath. Trying to be an artist. Well, I mean, it's a, sort of a newfound painting hobby. So yep. she's sort of, and she's also like wearing a bathrobe in the bath. She's sort of doing everything at once. Like, And it's called self-care exhaustion because she's wearing herself out by trying to relax. And the thing that was really great about, I guess, showing it at the Archibald is the, the audience is, is, is very... It's varied, and it's not the typical art audience that uh, goes to a gallery necessarily, but they might go to this Archibald exhibition at the Art Gallery in New South Wales. And just heard so many comments um, on Instagram. Like? Uh, they, a lot of women say, this is me. Wow. This is me, this is me. That's pretty powerful it's as a It's very powerful because people really, when people see themselves in the work, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm tapping into something. And so, getting to the heart of something. Yeah. What is, is she? The woman in the? Does she have a name? This woman? That's Jade. So <gasps> I didn't realize it was Jade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All oh, right. I'll have she, to go through the book with you and tell I'll you the whole. To, yeah. we'll, do, we'll do story time. <laughs> I should have read it. So no, it's okay. In in a greater degree of detail. No problem. But is she? That's like a wig, is it? On the side. It's her blonde wig. Yeah. Right. She's okay. Taking off the wig. She's got a hair towel around her head. Yeah, I like the idea. Like, I, I guess it's a simple idea, but it's a, a really complex idea of all this stuff that she has going on. And then it's actually, she's kind of like exhausted by it all. And so I guess it's unpicking all of that. And, you know, sometimes it can be difficult if you kind of don't want to unpick it because mm -hmm. it's kind of that next element of something, whatever it is, might be the thing that actually helps you to achieve what you, what you seek type thing mm -hmm. in terms of a look or a lifestyle if I can say that word <laughs> um, but yeah she's got it all the green smoothie the 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 red wine the candles the kind of oh right there, yeah there's a green smoothie and the red wine at the same time I forgot about that there's like there's like a pressure to all of it though e even this idea of trying to relax and do something nice for yourself I think 
I've heard a lot of women say that like they feel guilty if they're not relaxing enough. That's it's, so complex. That it's the very two complex. combined. Yeah. Did, have you got any thoughts on what that's about, or? You well, know? there's books about it. There's this whole stuff against wellness culture about how I, if I, if you're if if you're not in good shape, the pressure's on you because you know you you should be in good shape. You should be happy. You should be healthy. Um, and there's like you should be relaxing enough. You should be taking enough baths. And it's mm. almost like. Um, it's all these messages that there's I guess a lot of yeah and a lot of it relates to, to consumerism too I mean a lot of that there's a lot of products involved there's yoga mats involved there's you know it's it's just like a it's a weird kind of insidious uh, phenomenon I don't know yeah, what systemic is it? Uh, I don't know like I don't really want to get into late capitalism <laughs> in this conversation <laughs> but I mean just like the way that sort of almost regular everyday people are now like almost like selling products on Instagram. It's well, like they are literally. They are. And and ads are just everywhere even though it's just your friend being like, "Oh, I love this fit tea. It's really nice." But they're getting paid. Yeah, it's almost that kind of what do you call that? Like kind of personal endorsement mm-hmm. idea yeah. of, you know, and then I guess I don't know what they're called, people that are influencers. Influence, yeah. Which so they j- identify That's what Jade becomes. To sell in order to sell her products, her yeah. sweaters. Yeah. Is that not like a Fibonacci sort of loop of it absolutely going around, is. around, around? Mm-hmm. So we don't have an end. I guess you've kind of well, this, it ends in the singularity. The singularity. Yeah. That's right. Well, if it ends in the singularity, where did it begin? Began with her own dissatisfaction with herself. I guess there. I think of it as a linear narrative. In the in the beginning, she's sort of, you know, on the yoga mat and and um, unhappy with. Uh, how her middle-aged body is, her middle-aged gravity is spilling out onto the, in the yoga mat. So going back in the days before oil paint was invented and the days before, you know, the way, way back in before technology, um, do you think this is a kind of tapping into a, a really basic human um, trait or... Striving for more? Something like that, yeah. I guess is it something that's a shared attribute for all hum- humanity or is it is it too some, big a question some, no, I mean it's a big question some more than others but yeah I think in some ways you, the easiest way you could say this work is, a, is sort of about striving but it's also about questioning where it goes because there's a lot of ways you can strive you can strive to be a, a kinder person a better parent or whatever or you could strive to be you know the most beautiful person or the the sexiest, the hottest. I mean, this, it's sort of like, where are you going to put that energy if you're going to strive towards something? In this episode, I chatted with Amber Boardman, an artist from Sydney, Australia. You can find out more about Amber at her website, amberboardman.com. You can find this link, as well as other information about this episode, in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.